0: and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. The way we deploy stretch assignments is completely broken. Part of the reason why everyone struggles in building great teams. Those are the paraphrase words of Damar. Phillips, who is joining us today. And let me give you a little bit of background on DeMar's story. He's a senior people executive with a proven track record in strategic planning and business HR alignment, talent development, and promoting enterprise wide employee engagement in competitive fast paced business environments. He's deeply regarded as a strategic visionary and transformative tactical leader who focuses on delivering real business results while building highly collaborative working relationships across the organization. He's had uh, a track record for being an effective communicator, strong strategic and tactical skills to drive HR strategies and priorities, to drive HR strategies and initiatives aligned to business priorities, the strengths of talent, executing the results. He's a people-centric leader and he models what authentic leadership looks like. So Damar Phillips, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Dr. Jim. Glad to be here. And I need to take you along and do all of my introductions for me. That was great.
0: I, uh, I butchered it along the way, but okay. we'll, we'll let that one slide. So I appreciate you hang, ha- hopping on and hanging out with us. I know we covered a lot of stuff in the bio, but before we get into the core discussion, I'd like you to share with the audience anything that you feel would be important for them to know about you that's going to inform this conversation that we're going to have.
1: Thanks for that opportunity in in the platform. First, I think this is an important conversation that we're having. And and second of all, a conversation I had last week with my supervisor is telling, and I'll use that as an example. We were discussing just where I feel like my career is moving and just the insights within the organization. And one of the statements that he made to me is, DeMar, you're the first people person who I have worked with over my 30 plus year career who actually put people first. I was shocked. To be in the people profession, HR, human resources arena and to have worked at some wonderful companies. He's come from big, huge conglomerates, just massive as chief operating officer. And for him to tell me that I'm the first HR person who has truly put people first I was blown away. And so I I think that really is what I would say is what people need to know about me is that everything that I have done and everything that I do involves people. And I've worked for the world's largest organization at Walmart, and I've worked with some very small ones in between. But without being people-centered or people-focused, I'm not sure how businesses operate. Yes, you can cut to save money. You can cut heads to save an expense line but at the end of the day you're going to end up buying it all back unless you replace people with robots which to date has not been done yet someone has to flip the switch to turn that robot on it doesn't self-generate and with AI coming into the mix you still have to verify that the content and the subject matter is correct and so I will let everybody know is I'm a people-centered person my faith my family is what grounds me what centers me But I'm in this profession because I have a genuine care and concern for people and trying to get the best out of them and try to maximize the talent that they have.
0: I really like how you shared that experience. I'm not necessarily shocked that your leader mentioned that because if we look at the broader world of work, HR has only just recently gotten a seat at the table in a lot of organizations as as far as being at the executive table. And oftentimes what we've seen, and I'm painting with a broad brush, I recognize this, but part of what we've seen is HR tends to spend their time focused more on compliance and sort of administrative related duties versus the people-centric aspects of the role, which are the critical aspects of the role. So I'm not entirely surprised that the leader that you report into mentioned that. I think one of the things that I'm curious about, given your answer, is when you've worked at large publicly-created organizations and medium-sized publicly traded organizations, how are you intentional about being people-focused versus task or compliance-focused?
1: I don't think it's an either-or. I think it's all of the above, right? And for me, execution is truly where we excel at. We have to be compliant. We have to comply with the laws. We have to make sure that we're not putting the company at risk. And so my basic premise at any of the organizations that I work with is that first and foremost, we're going to comply with what is required. So state, local, federal law, we're going to comply with that. But I need people to understand that someone has to do that work. And that work involves people. And instead of putting the customer first or putting whatever else initiative that you got going on first, if you put your people first, the rest will take care of itself. And I think that's the fatal flaw that most organizations have is that they start trying to make sure the customer is number one. Yes, the customer is strategically important to us, but that customer is not doing your work. That customer is buying a product, that customer is buying a service, but that customer is not doing your work. Your people and your organization are doing your task. And so if you take care of them, you train them right, you upskill them, you pay them, you make sure that they have benefits to take care of their family, and you focus on developing those skill sets. whether they stay with your organization or go someplace else, you have given a well-rounded individual something that they can utilize for the rest of their life, and they will be loyal to you. But you have to earn that loyalty. And I think we try so hard to earn the customer's loyalty that we forget about earning our employees' loyalty. Because you write me a check does not make me loyal. It's what you do for me when the chips are down. And when I make a mistake, do you cast me aside? Do you push me aside and say someone else is better than you are? Or do you provide me with the right type of training, background, tooling, things that can help lift me up out of that situation so that I can focus on becoming a better employee?
0: I like the point that you brought up, Damar, about it's not an either or, it's an and, but what stood out to me the most about that answer, the yeah. part where you said, what is your people strategy look like? Is it one of those where you're just going to throw people in and if they mess up, you get rid of them? Or is it going to be a people strategy environment where you're equipping everybody with the tools for success first and then sending them forward? And I think that's an important distinction to call out. It actually provides a great segue into what we're going to be talking about through the rest of the conversation. So I appreciate you bringing that out. When you look at your current role and all the things that you've accomplished in, in roughly the year and a half, two years that you're there, what's the proudest accomplishment that you have to date?
1: Hiring great people. And, and probably people will be in a lot of my answers because it's so true. I've hired a, a director of executive compensation, total rewards, Leslie Bingham. Leslie is a fantastic leader. She brings new ideas and creativity. Potentially she could be a successor in a long-term for me. And so hiring people that push you to be better than who you are. We have a fear in business that if we hire someone that can replace us, that we're replaceable. Guess what? If you don't hire someone that's better than you that can replace you, you're not promotable. And so if you're worried about doing the job that you're in, you will always be there. And that's a fatal flaw that's in in business. And I talk about these fatal flaws, it's things that take away from your ability to be successful within an organization, not because you intentionally are doing it. These are unconscious biases that we don't even recognize that we have. Hiring somebody that's smarter than you should not be a threat to your job or to your role, it should truly be a way for you to be able to get better to be able to empower them to get better so that you can promote and grow within the organization.
0: If we're talking about building high-performance teams, you're just going to race down to the mediocre if all you're doing is approaching your hiring strategy as a job protection racket versus a promotion and development. So I really like how you, you brought that together. You've started the process of building a great team around you, and that's rooted in hiring people who are better than you and could potentially replace you. When you look at 2024 and beyond, what's the moonshot that you're planning for in your current role?
1: Yeah, it's around talent and it's around how we procure talent within the organization. We have too much of a reliance on outside agencies right now. And so we have several of them. My goal is to reduce agency dependency by 75%. That percentage means nothing to you guys. So I have 20 agencies right now. I want to get that down to five, right? Here, who are my top five? And they can be across, whether it's direct placements or if it's just temporary support that we need from time to time, I wanna go from 20 to five, right? Getting that reduction in four, down with who we rely on. One, it's gonna help challenge my talent acquisition team to be faster, be smarter with how they review resumes, how they bring in folks, and then partnership with our hiring managers on training them to get through the process faster, quicker, will allow us to be able to save money but also invest back into my team. So that's the big moonshot. And then I want time to fill the seat to be reduced by 50%. And so today it can take anywhere from eight to 12 weeks on these roles. We are engineering heavy. And so the majority of our positions take about that timeframe to be able to, to get people in seat. However, what I want my talent acquisition team to fully understand and embrace is that an open position is a detriment to the organization because we have someone that could be doing a job that someone is having to cover. And so I'm not getting the best out of them, nor am I getting the best out of the organization if we have open positions. And so reducing that time from eight to 12 weeks to four to six, four to eight weeks, would be a huge opportunity for us and a way to improve the organization overall.
0: The supplier reduction or supplier streamlining component that you're talking about when you're reducing the vendor pool from 20 to roughly four or five, I think that's a pretty important milestone. What role does upskill, reskill and development of existing teams play in that overall reduction model? Are you emphasizing more development internally before you tackle the vendor population?
1: That's an all of the above approach. So first I have to re-educate my talent acquisition team on what I look for when we're sourcing and providing candidates to our internal hiring teams, whether it's reduce the amount of resumes that you're reviewing from six to three and submit those over, making sure that the training that you put the hiring managers through, how they look at resumes, how they ensure that the talent population is is hitting the job description correctly. Those types of things are all critically important for us. And so it is a combination of upskilling their internal team or my team, as well as the hiring managers, retraining them on certain things that they learned in the past. They directly, the acquisition team right now directly reports to me. So we're able to pivot a whole lot faster with having me be that touch point, as opposed to another manager or another leader that they were reporting to. So it's an all of the above approach with us. We're going to retool, we're going to reskill, we're going to upskill, those types of things for our internal team, as well as the external. And then for those five vendors that make it, they need to understand that they're getting a larger portion of our work because the positions are not being divided by 20 agencies. It's going to be the five agencies. So we'll be able to help them improve their bottom line. They will understand our initiatives, such as diversity recruiting efforts that are needed. We're looking for female engineers within this space. We're a very diverse company as it stands, but more diversity in management roles. And those types of things are also important to us as well.
0: I like I like how you've embedded DEIB as a central component of your talent strategy. I think that's important to call out too. I opened the show with the comment, the way that we deploy stretch assignments is completely broken. And I mentioned that the reason that everybody struggles with building an elite team is rooted in that misunderstanding about how stretch assignments are supposed to be done. How has that helped you get on the path of building high-performance teams?
1: One is a book called Finding Your Strengths Finder, where at Walmart, even in my Walmart years, I read that book and it listed some of the traits that are very, that I was really good at, and it pulls out some of those natural tendencies. I didn't really fully understand that until my mentor, Clabraveno Fontenot, who's CEO of Feeding America, sent me down for a developmental conversation about running away from a stress or from a person instead of running towards a, an opportunity, right? And so that really help to put it into focus that you own your career, the employees own their careers. We as mentors or we as leaders are there to help them supplement the learnings and the lessons that they have over time. And we help to build them up whether it's through having a mentor that chastises you when you're doing wrong, someone that's your cheerleader that makes you celebrate your successes, someone that's there for just solid advice, or someone that's just outside of the, the scope of your profession that you can just bounce ideas off of. All of those things truly should help you to identify truly what is your back pocket, back pocket skill that is the one thing that you do better than everyone else. And if you focus on that. Strength. And if your leadership understands truly what that strength is, then that can put you in position to be extremely successful and extremely valuable to the organization. I'll give another example. Andra Newey, who was the CEO of Pepsi, chairman of Pepsi, she said that her back pocket skill was simplifying the complex. And all throughout her career, before she became chairman of Pepsi, her one major skill set was simplifying, complex ideas. So how does she go about doing that? She would deep dive into the subject matter, become an expert in whatever that subject matter was, and she would be able to put it in simple terms so that her team, her CEO, even at the time, would be able to fully understand it. And so by focusing on your employees' strengths, you're able to identify what above all else that they're extremely good at and then empower them to be successful by going to use that strength every time. Sometimes they don't even realize what their strength is. And so having someone to validate what they do extremely well, even outside of what you as their manager sees is extremely powerful. moment.
0: Wow. It's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact Community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now, back to the show. We're taking the HR Impact Show on the road. As a loyal listener to the HR Impact Show, we'd like to invite you to join us live at the 2024 Transform Conference at the Wind Resort in Las Vegas from March 11th through the 13th. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors, and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people, innovation, and transforming the world of work. The 2024 Transform Conference is gonna be the best yet. Here's what you can expect. Innovative showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, 300-plus speakers, and more. Join us and let's shape the future world of work together. I really like how you spell that out. I want to connect some dots in that. So playing to people's strengths, you were an athlete all through high school and college. I've watched a lot of sports, so I know some stuff too. But it's something that you see in the analytics in those environments where you make certain throws, you swing at certain pitches, so on and so forth. How is that fundamentally different than how stretch assignments are typically handled in the corporate world?
1: I love sports analogies too. And so thank you and appreciate you for allowing me to sneak one in. In the eighties, the OU Sooners were known as the wishbowl team. So the Oklahoma Sooners, Barry Switzer was the coach and they had amazing athletes. Quarterback threw three or four or five times a game, maybe. That was if they weren't running successfully. I think because they played to their strengths, they won a national championship, I think, in 1986, if I'm not mistaken, in the Orange Bowl. Very successful team. But then in the professional ranks, you look at the San Francisco 49ers. They call it the West Coast offense, where you have someone like a Joe Montana, who was 4-0 in Super Bowls, And before Tom Brady became the greatest quarterback ever, he was probably the greatest quarterback ever, where the little shuffle pass, the little five yard out to the running back coming out of the backfield, they would dink and dunk down the field and then they hit Jerry Rice for a long one and it was over. That West Coast offense became a staple to the San Francisco 49ers. Look at the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys is always a running team. They have tried to be a passing team. We had Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. Dak Prescott threw some unbelievable numbers, even aside from the interceptions, some amazing touchdowns and a lot of yardage. But there was no Aaron Smith in the backfield. There was no Michael Irvin on the side. So teams, just like companies, identify what their strength is. Our strength at Hylion is that we have the best engineers in the field building something that has never existed and bringing it to fruition. And we will lost at this by the end of the year. We're going through our process now of uh, extended fleet trials, and they're performing extremely well. As a leader, you have to take inventory of your own strength, know what you do extremely well, and maximize on that. The problem that I see and why I'm saying that we've set people up for failure is that we will take someone who is technically proficient. They are a strong, high-performance player technically superior to most, they will give them a team because they perform in a technically proficient way. And then we wonder why they're not hitting their targets. They're not coaching their employees. They have high turnover on the team. The joy has been taken out of them from coming to work. Why? Because you've taken someone with a passion for product, a passion for design, a passion for anything other than people, and you try to make them a people leader. It just does not work. We gotta put the respect back on developing other talent, developing ourselves, developing people, and put people in strategic positions to impact the organization in a smart way. And that is the work that has to be done at the individual department level, the team level, and the company level to make sure that we're not running good talent away by putting them in positions to not be successful.
0: There's a lot in what you said that I think is worth digging into when we're talking about the highly technical talent that, that we have and making the mistake of putting them into people leadership, that making complex things simple, you referenced that earlier. I think one of mm-hmm. the simplest things that leaders need to do is take the time to religiously ask their people, what do you want to do? Like when you look at this role and you look at the next thing that you want to do, It's got to be like, what do you want to do? What's your path? And then work on creating those things. The references from football and from the Sooners and how that drew into the broader lesson. I think the, the big lesson that I took away from that conversation or that piece of the conversation was that all of those organizations identified the one or two things that they did exceptionally well. They were probably not flashy things. But they focus on executing it at an extremely high level. And that's how they got those elite results is by focusing on the simple things with a high degree of execution. And that actually is what leads to success. DeMar, I like what you've brought out in terms of playing to the team's strengths as what you should be looking at when you're building those, those stretch assignments and focusing on the simple things. I think that's important as well. Now, if you're a people leader. In an organization where stretch assignments usually means these are the gaps that we've identified in your capability, we need you to shore those gaps and you want to switch to that strengths focus. What are some of the errors or pitfalls that people should be watching out for when they make that pivot?
1: Sometimes managers will assume that you're not invested in the organization because you're not performing at your highest, right? I I see too often where You'll have someone that used to be a high performer, then now something has changed. Oh, okay, I need to just get rid of them. Instead of us accepting responsibility as being partly responsible for putting that individual in a situation that they were not prepared for. We don't take that inventory of ourselves and say, you know what, as a, as a business, yes, let's step back. Let's re-examine why this individual is not hitting on all cylinders like they used to. And then what can we do to help ensure that the individual is taken care of. And so having those conversations are critical. We do have a progressive disciplinary process where performance improvement plan can be a part of that. But before you get to the performance improvement plan from a coaching to remain at the company versus coaching for success, we need to fully understand why is that person in a position that they are in the first place? Is it a lack of confidence in what they're doing? Did they receive the technical and, and people training that they needed? To be successful? Well, were we clear about the expectations of the role? And I think if we are to step back and do some of that uh, analysis of ourselves, more people will be opt to stay at the organization or organizations instead of seeking employment outside because the quiet quitting is real. People are leaving companies because they can find a better fit for their skill set. And then largely, some of this could be based off of you put me in the wrong position, the bad position. And now I feel like my mental health is bad, for example, because I'm not performing where I used to perform. And it's all because you put this additional burden on me. And then lastly, just ask them if they're interested in it. Or do you really want to do that job? If don't just promote somebody and give them a team, ask them what they want to do. Be part of the career conversation with them.
0: I especially like the last bit that you mentioned and the way that uh, I, I look at a parallel in, in what I've done is that when I'm actually building sales teams and building those out, oftentimes we've been conditioned to believe that you start from an individual contributor and then you move to mid-market and enterprise and then you become a manager and all that sort of stuff because that's like what everybody does. And I've been pretty deliberate in asking people on the team, here's the question that you need to answer for yourself before you make the decision to make the shift into management. Are you comfortable being completely not in control in terms of your success or failure. Because if you can't say, yeah, I'm okay with that, you should really think long and hard about becoming a people leader because you're basically putting your career in the hands of other people because that's that's really what leadership is. It's working through people instead of trying to push, pull and drag people along to what you want.
1: Absolutely. And if you're not a very patient person, I don't recommend managing others, right? Because the one thing that you can't control is someone else's performance. And I've had to learn over the years is to meet people where they're at and not try to force them to the high expectation I put on myself. I have to understand their expectations for themselves. I'll leave you with this. Deion Sanders, he's taken over college football, really taken over sports right now, probably the hottest story going. But if you listen to any of his statements that he makes, he's truly trying to create men out of the boys that went to school to become men and he's using the football platform to teach them valuable lessons and the other day the lesson that he put up on the board he does one every week i think it's called expectations and his statement was not my expectations of you not your parents expectations of you but what are your expectations of yourselves because guess what when you go to bed at night that is what you wrestle with. Unbelievable, right? And sports is a great analogy around life. There'll be times when you're beat 42 to 10, Dallas. How are you going to pick yourself up? How do you get on the plane to take that long trip back home with that defeat and realize, hey, it's just a game, but I can learn something from defeat that can help propel me to victory all. I don't recall a single team outside the 1972 Miami Dolphins that were perfect. It is the quest that occurs every year and every season someone fails. And why is that? Because as those wins mount, the pressure to remain perfect becomes debilitating. And then they no longer play to win, they play not to lose. And that is a losing strategy.
0: I I, I like that distinction, especially at the end, play to win versus playing not to lose. I think there's a big difference in psychology when it comes to that. So... DeMar, thanks for hanging out with us. Before we sign off, I want you to take a look at the conversation that we've had and map out the two or three key things that people leaders need to focus on and pay attention to to execute that strengths-based people development strategy that we've been talking about.
1: First, it starts with loving people. You have to be passionate about people in order to, to position them in the best way possible to be able to help grow and lead the organization. Two, because you're people focused uh, and it's a people first type of a thought process, it doesn't mean that you're fiscally irresponsible or that you're just spending the organization's money. It's just that the value of what people provide and that value, while it does come at a cost because we are a cost center, right? We're not generating revenue. We can be a saver though. And we can be a savings to the organization by not having to repost positions that require folks to to spend their time and their energy and their resources to replace people who decided to leave because we didn't take care of them. And then lastly, for me, it's all about identifying the person to be able to meet their passion. And once a person meets their passion, then their purpose can be defined. And I think that's how I operate every single day that we bring someone to the organization is great. I, I'm, I I appreciate you bringing someone in for this role. My goal is to make sure that they receive the type of career and experience that, that they deserve and that they want and to help empower them to be successful wherever they see the road taken them.
0: If people want to continue the conversation, where can they find you?
1: Uh, I'm on LinkedIn uh, a lot, just DeMar Phillips. Uh, I'm more than willing to have a conversation and connect with anyone and everyone. who who wants Uh, to engage.
0: Appreciate you hanging out. When I think of this conversation, there's a few things that I want to call out before we wrap up. I think one of the things that stood out in terms of building a people-centered organization that plays to strengths, and this may or may not be subtle to some people that are listening, but I, I really think that there is a strong emphasis of embedding DEIB into your talent strategy that helps you build this type of organization. And I think for those who are listening, if you're sleeping on that as part of a central piece of your strategy, you're never gonna build that elite organization because you're gonna have one note that exists within your team. The other thing that stood out about the conversation that we had was obviously that we spent a lot of time talking about build with your eye towards the individual strengths. And in particular, people should be looking at those strengths What are the simple things that each person on your team does really well and take the Japanese approach to it from a cultural perspective? It's focusing on the details and doing the small things exceptionally well that leads to elite results. So those are the big themes that I pulled out of this conversation. And I appreciate you sharing that with us while we were chatting. For those of you who have listened to this episode and have liked the discussion, leave us a review tune in next time where we'll have another great leader chatting with us on the game-changing realizations that they had that helped them build high-performing teams. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact.